If you look again with me, please, in your Bible. To that ninth chapter of the book of Judges, we have arrived in our studies to that 22nd verse of this chapter. We will in attempt the days ahead, beginning today, to look at the remainder of the record given to us in this chapter. I will today <coughs> read the remainder of that record. I shall not do that again, <coughs> but we will take it as we take up the sermons, only the verses for the sermon. But today, to set the record before our minds, we will read it together. Judges chapter 9. You'll remember in verse 21 that Jotham ran away, fled, and went. Three words. Three verbs in the Hebrew to describe his removal after the delivery of that great fable. And so the record of history takes up for us in verse 22. When Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel, then God <clears throat> sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. That the cruelty done to the threescore and ten sons of Jerubbabel might come and their blood be laid upon Abimelech, their brother, which slew them and upon the men of Shechem, which aided him in the killing of his brethren. The men of Shechem set liars in wait for him in the top of the mountains, and they robbed all that came along that way by them, and it was told Abimelech. And Gaul, the son of Ebed, came with his brethren and went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. And they went out into the fields and gathered their vineyards and trod the grapes and made merry and went into the house of their God, their God, and did eat and drink and cursed Abimelech. Gaul the son of Ebed said, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem? We should serve him. Is not he the son of Jerubbabel and Zebel his officer? Serve the men of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for why should we serve him? And would to God this people were under my hand, then would I remove Abimelech. And he said to Abimelech, Increase thine army and come out. When Zebel, the ruler of the city, heard the words of God, 
the son of evil, his anger was kindled. And he sent messengers unto Abimelech privily, saying, Behold, Gaul, the son of evil, Ebed, and his brethren be come to Shechem, and behold, they fortify the city against thee. Now therefore, up by night, thou and the people that is with thee, and lie in wait in the field, and it shall be that in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, thou shalt rise early and set upon the city, and behold, when he and the people that is with him come out against thee, then mayest thou do to them as thou shalt find occasion. And Abimelech arose up and all the people that were with him died by night and they lay wait against Shechem four companies. And Gaul the son of Ebed went out and stood in the entering of the gate of the city and Abimelech rose up and the people that were with him from lying in wait. When Gaul saw the people and said to Zebul, Behold, there come people down from the top of the mountains. And Zebul said unto him, Thou seest the shadow of the mountains as if they were men. Gaul spake again and said, See, there come people down by the middle of the land and another company come along the plain. And that is literally translated by the oak, by the wizard's oak, is the literal translation, by the wizard's oak. Then said Zebul unto him, Where is now thy mouth, wherewith thou sayest, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Is not this people that thou hast, is not this the people that thou hast despised? Go out, I pray now, and fight with them. And Gaul went out before the men of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him. And many were overthrown and wounded, even unto the entering of the gate. And Abimelech dwelt at Aruma, and Zebul thrust out Gaul and his brethren that they should not dwell in Shechem. It came to pass on the morrow that the people went out into the field, and they told Abimelech and he took the people and divided them into three companies and laid wait in the field and looked. And behold, the people were come out of the city and he rose up against them and smote them. And Abimelech and the company that were with him rushed forward and stood in the entering of the gate of the city. And the two other companies ran upon all the people that were in the, that were in the fields and slew them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day, and he took the city and slew the people that was therein and beat down the city and sowed it with salt. When the men of the tower of Shechem heard, heard that, they entered into a hold in the house of God, of the God Bereth. And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together and Abimelech got him up to the mountain, Zalmon, he and all the people that were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bough from the trees and took it and laid it on his shoulder and said to the people that were with him, What you've seen me do, make haste and do as I've done. And all the people likewise cut down every man his bough and followed Abimelech and put them to the hole and set the hole on fire upon them.
so that all the men of the tower of Shechem died also, about a thousand men and women. Then went Abimelech to Thebes and camped against Thebes and took it. There was a strong tower within the city, and thither fled all the men and women, and all of they and and all they of the city, and shut it to them, and got them up to the top of the tower. And Abimelech came unto the tower and fought against it, and went hard unto the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman cast a piece of a millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break his skull. Then he cried hastily unto the young man, his armor bearer, and said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me, that men may not save me, a woman slew me. His young man thrust him through, and he died. When the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man unto his place. Thus God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done, which he did unto his father in slaying his seventy brethren. And all the evil of the men of Shechem did God render upon their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. And thus the record Thus the record. Stand with me again, please. And we'll sing together before a message. Number 1144. 1144. Stand with me, please, as we sing together. Judgment day of wonders Art the trumpet's awful sound Louder than a thousand thunders Shakes the vast creation round How the summons, how the summons Will the sinner's heart confound? Will the sinner's heart confound? See the judge, our nature wearing, clothed in majesty divine. You who long for his appearing, then shall say, This God is mine. Gracious Savior, gracious Savior, only in that day for thine. Only in that day for And his call, the dead awaken, 
rise to life from earth and sea. All the powers of nature shaken by his looks prepare to flee. Careless sinner, careless sinner, what will then become of thee? What will then become of thee? But to those who have confessed and loved and served the He will say, Come near ye, blessed, see the kingdom I bestow. You forever, you forever shall my love and glory know. Shall my love and glory Seated. Justice at last. Or if you prefer for a title. The words of Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. Or, if you prefer the simplicity of a country farmer, one might title this section, When the Chickens Come Home to Roost. How often as a child, I heard that expression. We come again now this morning to this ninth chapter in the record of the judges in Israel to carry on our studies for God's instructions to our souls in this holy record. This chapter, if you'll remember, opens in verse 1 through 6. In horrible tragedy, fratricide, violent and unprovoked bloodshed, the ignominy of which will echo through the halls of human history for as long as time shall stand because God has inspired the record of it in his word. Now, we shall see that this chapter closes as it had opened with terrible death, scenes of yet more horror and bloody violence, verses 22 through 57. And then sandwiched in between these shocking scenes, we saw that glorious 
fables divinely inspired which occupied our attention for not less than three sermons, three weeks. But here in these verses, we move from the land of the fable to the landscape of the fables. So today we come together to this last section in our record. And I hope today only to introduce these scenes before you in this message. Scarcely was his father buried out of sight when Abimelech, this son of whoredom, flies in the face of his father's clearly defined will when he said, Neither shall my sons rule over you. Without a call from God or man, without natural claim or hereditary right, he aspires to be the king of a kingdom. God permitted it because it was right that a wicked and apostate nation should be punished by the wicked ruler of their own choosing. Heretofore their punishment in the records as we have seen their punishment heretofore for apostasy had been from foes outside of the nation. But now that they are weary of the heavenly king and of his reign in this theocracy, they must be scourged by the whip that they prepared for themselves. Punished from within. Israel, impatient of Jehovah's light yoke, must learn the bitterness of the yoke of the idolatrous king which they have chosen. Thus the eternal principle of God's righteous retribution in kind is illustrated. Jeremiah said it in chapter 2 and verse 19. Thine own wickedness shall correct thee and thy backslidings shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God. Shechemites, with the characteristic fickleness of a multitude, soon repented of their choice. Fawcett said it had been better for them had they repented of their sin. But where there is no conscience, we must not expect consistency. Abimelech had taught them treachery towards his father and his father's son and it was God's righteous retribution that he should be punished by their treachery to himself. And so it is that the record unfolds. Somewhat by way of a summary comment, one commentator said this, 
He takes up that verse in Numbers 32, 23 that I quoted. Be sure your sins will find you out. And he says this. We are living under the government of God. And I would pause his thought there just for a moment to interject my own. We are living under the government of God, whatever men may say. Whatever doubt men may have and whatever feats of academic enterprise they may engage to banish God from his own universe, it is not so. We are under the government of God. And then this commentator says, and though many things happen in the world which seem strange and inexplicable to us upon this theory of God's righteous rule over mankind, yet we have but to be patient and to observe, observe impartially the end of things in order to see by many infallible proofs that God is good to those that are of a clean heart and that the end of the ungodly is that they shall perish. Nor can we afford to lose the evidence of God's righteous judgment. Now it may be safely affirmed that the whole course of this world presents to the impartial observer continuous evidence that the way of the transgressor is hard. And that there is no peace to the wicked. While on the contrary, the way of the just is as a shining light which shineth more and more to the perfect day. It is quite true, says this commentator, that this evidence is from time to time, as it were, crossed and checked in its flow by puzzling phenomena of a different character. But just as the ebbing and flowing tide is apparently interrupted by single waves which exceed or fall short of their expected place, and yet for all of that, it is steadily receding or advancing. All these scenes, says this commentator, culminate in the declaration of the coming of a day of judgment when God will reward every man according to his works. Every work will then have its proper recompense of reward. All inequities will be redressed. The temporary exceptions will disappear. The just procedure will be vindicated to the utmost. In the full court of heaven and earth, God will show himself a righteous God when all men shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The flood which drowned the world of the ungodly, the fire which burned up the cities in the plain, the miserable end of this tyrant Abimelech, the dogs that licked up the blood of Ahab by the vineyard of Nabal, the flames that devoured the temple at Jerusalem and the instances which every day bring before us the shame and sorrow springing out of sin. They are all prophetic voices 
to which we shall do well to take heed, confirming the announcement in the Word of God of that great and terrible day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ and reward every man according to the text. Here in this text, it preaches loudly, be sure your sins will find you out. In taking up this record this morning, I've been made to think that this text, verses 22 through 57, this whole text, is nothing more than an extended commentary, an extended illustration of that ancient law laid down in its simple words at the very dawning of human experience. There we hear these words in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood cried unto me, from the ground. I say this text, this text is nothing but an extended commentary on that ancient law laid down in the very beginning of human experience. God said, Thy brother's blood cries to me from the ground. And here is the principle Laid down. Here in Genesis 4 is that principle declared and naught that man can do will ever revoke it. God will hear the blood of the innocent crying out. And when that cry is heard at last in the ears of our red righteous God Retribution will come. Retribution will come. Oh yes. Somewhere. Somewhere. The guilty will be made to weep. In the words of Judas Iscariot. In Matthew 27. And verse 4. Matthew 27 and verse 4, when Judas said, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And then verse 5 tells us, he went out and hanged himself. God's judgment executed by the sinner's own hand. And we shall see 
that in this record that it shall be so. It shall be so. Also for Abimelech, the men of Shechem. I have sinned. I said, I said somewhere, I said somewhere, somewhere, someday, the guilty will be made to weep and cry out in the words of Judas, I have sinned in that I betrayed innocent blood. And then I ask you what? Look at that text. Again, and what? What we may well ask. What is the care? What is the concern of those equally bloody hands of his bloody friends? What is their concern? Verse 4, and they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. Oh, <laughs> what is it to us? See thou to it. No care, no concern from his equally bloody friends. And so it is with Abimelech. What care, what concern, what refuge did he find in the men of Shechem, his bloody comrades? None at all. And so in this record of retribution, we read these words. When Abimelech had reigned three years, over Israel. Oh, how pregnant is just this simple lines with truths in the nature of God's justice. Abimelech is here said to reign over Israel. Bush made the comment, it is probable that Abimelech's authority did not at first extend beyond the city of Shechem, which had appointed him. But by gradual encroachments, he seemed to have extended his sway over some of the adjacent towns and territories, compelling them to acknowledge his power, as we find later in verse 50, going against Thebes in the tribe of Ephraim as a rebellious city, he seemed to have refused any subjection. They seemed to have refused any subjection to him. So his reign is said in this text to be over Israel. But let me share with you the first great truth taught us in this text. There is a lesson here in that particular word used by inspiration, which is here translated, reigned. Verse 22. When Abimelech had reigned. Oh. This is in the Hebrew, not the same word. Used in verse 8, 10, 12, and 14. In all of those four locations, in that fable 
the republic of trees. The trees ask these various other trees to reign over them. But that's not the word used in verse 22. This word does not carry the meaning of that word. This word does not carry the meaning of a just rule or judgment among men. But rather this unique word has to do with the exercise of despotism. Or as some has said, it's not the mild and divinely inspired oversight of a judge or a governor, but it is the tyranny and fanaticism of a despot. This word tells us by divine inspiration that Abimelech reigned over these people with grueling harshness. The trees in that fable had asked for someone to govern among them. But Abimelech had established himself by villainy in a cruel despotic rule over them. And we know that because the Holy Spirit of God in his inspiration selected this word and not the other. So then our text tells us that he reigned with cruelty and inequity over Israel for three years. He reigned Three years over Israel. Three years of unbridled pillaging of God's people. Three years of self-congratulating glory, unchallenged and unrestrained. Three years. He was surely, had surely the heart of Rehoboam, who in youthful pride and calloused ignorance had this to say in 1 Kings. The record bears in 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 10. And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now whereas thy father did lay you with heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father has chastised you with whips. I'll chastise you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king asked the people roughly and forsook the old men's counsels that they gave him. And spake to them after the counsel of the young men, 
saying, My father made your yoke heavy. I'll add to your yoke. My father also chasing you with whip, but I'll chastise you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not to the people. For the cause was from the Lord that he might perform his sayings. I'm telling you, Abimelech had the same spirit that's reflected in that record of Rehoboam. Cruelty in his reign. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. For three years, he carried out all his evil designs and gave free reign to his foolish lusts. For three years, the voice of Jotham from atop that lofty mountain had long since been silent in this rebellious valley. For three years, these tribes continued on, marrying and giving in marriage as it were, living their lives as though God had somehow been stricken blind or gone off on a journey. First Kings 18.27 Or peradventure he sleepeth. That's how they acted for three years. But no, maybe God has just forgotten. <laughs> no, no. As we shall see, our God does not sleep. Our God is not blind. Our God has not been smitten with amnesia. Oh yes, they will soon learn that the words of Job 20 verse 5 are true. That the triumphing of the wicked is short. And the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. Job chapter 20 and verse 5. Psalm chapter 10 and verse 4 tells us the whole story. Psalmist said the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he profit that. Oh, what a description of a Abimelech. What a good and great description of a Puffeth at them. He saith in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. Verse 7 His mouth is full of cursings and deceit and fraud, and under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are purely set on the poor. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor and draws them into his net. He crouches and, and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. But oh, verse 14, thou hast seen them. 
Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee, thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Hallelujah. Oh yes, they're yet to learn it. They're yet to learn it. But they will learn it. They will learn it by the end of this record. Oh yes, three years of relative peace. But eventually these men's hatred for the cruel reign of Abimelech boils over and breaks out. As it always will. It always will. Psalm 37 and verse 35. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away. And lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Oh, yes, they will learn. He may spread himself like a green bay tree for three years. But God will lay the axe at the root. Sometimes, we may learn something here, I hope. Sometimes, it may be that the Lord will for a time As with Abimelech, our God may allow such a thing for a time. What may seem to us a long time as we count time. Or our God may not allow them long at all before they are stopped, as it were, at the very gate of their evil designs. While others may be allowed a very long career indeed to work their evil. Rogers addressing himself to this interesting thing had this to say. Many ways we see God hath to destroy such men. Sometimes he suffers them not to plant themselves at all, but crosses them in the enterprise as, as, as he did Absalom. Sometimes he suffers them to take deep root and gives them a long time, but it's with much vexation and fretting as Pharaoh and Ahab. And otherwise, he lets them flourish but a short time, like Abimelech, and pulls them up, pull them up, ere they be half-rooted. Whether he keeps them from attaining that which they seek, or keeps them under, or plucks them up again. Let them learn, let them learn by them all. That he is wise and knows how to handle them and to shelter his own 
from the annoyance of them. Speaking of this in Psalm 37, speaking of this third sort of flourishers, whom he compares to a green bay tree, he added this, they are suddenly and horribly consumed. And it is the argument of many of the Psalms of the sum of that which Job's friends so much insisted on that the happiness of the wicked is short. So that we must not wonder, we must not wonder if they pile their work apace and take the uttermost of their liberty for the devil teacheth them to do so who rageth the more violently knowing he is tied by a shorter tether, and judgment will come. Adding still more to our wisdom here in this text, Rogers had this to say, that sin which is in the wicked hidden in their hearts and never so secret, he bringeth forth at his pleasure and lets it break out at his commandment. Ruling and overruling their own hearts. I said he reigned for a short time, but eventually judgment came. Roger said, and they that nourish it in themselves and do not give it vent by repentance may ever justly fear and do sometimes to truly find that as water pent in breaks out violently in some place or other, even so the sin that is entertained in men's hearts can't shall one time or other break out and to their shame in their lives. But as the stink of the dunghill riseth not from the sun, no more does sin proceed from God. Did you understand that little analogy? When the sun comes out and warms the dunghill, stink. But it's not the sun. It's not the sun that stinks. It's the dunghill that stinks. The sun just exposes corruption. Our brother would teach us from ages past God brought this. We're going to see it in a moment, not today, in another verse. God brought this to pass. But the sin's not God's. He's just the sun on the dunghill. Oh, men's sins will come out. And while this evil reign of three years was the wise doings of our God and His divine providence, Yet this sin is not to be laid at his feet. Oh no. Oh no. But it's to be laid at the feet of Abimelech. And not him only as we shall see. But to the feet of all who conspired in his evil with him. How well Rogers illustrated this when he preached these words. 
we see that the thatched houses, we see that the thatched houses which stand close together, by that they fence each other from the violence of the weather for a time, yet if one of them be on fire, it serveth but to hasten the consumption of all the others. And so there is no knot so wickedly knit betwixt men, but while it lasteth, it bringeth some benefit to the confederates. But when once the Lord has dissolved the band, their greatest union turns to the most deadly enemy that can be. Oh yes, men may conspire together in their sin and we have seen it in our nation. We have seen it in our government. Men may conspire together and weave themselves together in their purposes against our God, but it will only serve to bring them the nearer together in the judgment of God when His fire breaks out. And so then our record of retribution begins with these words. When Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel. Next week we shall see our God's infinite wisdom as he intervenes to order the affairs of justice in his providence. Stand with me again, please. Turn with me to the words of 108 to 1082 in your hymnal and sing together. Once for all the songs. 